Can you hear me? Good morning, everyone. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank God, as well as Pastor Isaac, for inviting me to come to speak to you. A couple of months ago, I received an email from somebody called Isaac, and I have no idea who that was, because <laughs> we usually call him Pastor Tang, and I don't know his uh, Christian name. And he volunteered to come to visit me at the university, and I wasn't sure why somebody that I don't know will come to visit me. And turned out uh, it was a kind invitation. And uh, I, I hope that God will use the next 30 minutes to speak to you through his words. Um, as you have heard, uh, I'm a medical doctor, so I'm actually very unqualified to speak on the altar. I have no theology degree. What I have is a medical degree. So CPR to me is cardiac pulmonary resuscitation. <laughs> I didn't know that it can be translated into prayer. So, but today, I want to share with you uh, more about my life and how my life is being changed by the words of God, particularly in my career as a medical doctor and as a professor in the university. However, before we do that, uh, well, the topic is be strong and be courageous. Before we do that, we'll ask ourselves, are we still facing challenges? Are you having difficulties in your work and in your life? I mean, some of you may say, well, I'm retired. I don't have any more challenges. What I have to do is to enjoy life. Wait a minute. Okay, you may still face challenges and difficulty in your life. You may say, I'm just a housewife. I'm not doing something big. No, you have something very important even at home. And you may face crisis, you may face challenges at home. So what I try to say is that everybody actually has their own challenges in life. How many of you have seen the state funeral for Queen Elizabeth II last week? Put up your hand. How many of you had this part of it, you have seen it? Oh, not so many. Huh? It was one of the most... Um, spectacular, one of the most uh, uh, solemn ceremony I have ever seen. Okay, this is a state funeral in the United Kingdom. You know, the last time when UK launched this type of funeral was over 60 years ago for the then Prime Minister Winston Churchill. So even the royalty do not always have a state funeral. But the queen, who has been serving her country for 70 years plus, was given this highest honor of the country. You may say, well, she born with a, more than a silver spoon. She born with a diamond spoon in her mouth, right? She has so much diamonds and pearls, right? And all her life, she's enjoying the best uh, food, the best dress, and uh, the best house, so many castles, Every time when, he, when she comes out, so many people are endure, adoring her and serving her. What challenges would she has? You are quite wrong if you say that. Okay? You know that she took up the crown, she took the office at the age of 25 and became the head of state of seven countries, including UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Sri Lanka, and some others and the head of the whole commonwealth. And at that time, although it is after the Second World War, but the 
empire that the sun never set on is disintegrating. The United Kingdom is losing one colony after the other, particularly in the continent of Africa. More than that, she has to face years or even decades of turmoil and fighting and bomb threat in Northern Ireland. All right, I'm sure that was a difficult moment for her at the, as the head of state. Although she is not the prime minister, but she is still the figurehead of the country. And this is a fight between Protestants and Catholics in that country. 1992, according to Queen Elizabeth herself, was the most difficult year in her life. 92, according to her, was called the annulus horribilis. That in this Latin, in English, it means a horrible year. What was so horrible in 1992 for her? Well, her son, Andrew, divorced, okay? And um, Sarah, uh, the, the, her, her daughter-in-law, lost the Duchess of York title. In 1992, um, her, the other daughter-in-law, Princess Diane, wrote a book uh, entitled her, Truth Sto her True Story, the true story about Buckingham Palace, the true story about the royal family. So obviously there is a lot of things that she doesn't want to be exposed to the public has now been exposed and therefore invite a lot of media attention uh, and even criticism. And that was also the year there was a major fire in Windsor Castle, that is her home, okay? So she has not just um, her duties, which is having trouble, she also has a lot of family issues giving her trouble. So brothers and sisters, I'm sure you will also have some of these issues. You will face difficult boss, you have a job uh, which is so challenging, you've been sent to do something uh, in some places that you are not familiar with and you have no confidence in it. You have um, children at home which can give you a lot of uh, headaches. All right? You may have financial issues, your house, so many of the challenges. We are all facing challenges wherever we are, whatever we do. In 2010, I had an opportunity to have a holiday and I went to Israel, crossed the Jordan River, and standing on the land of the country Jordan. This is actually on the top of a mountain called Nebo. Nebo was the mountain where Moses ended his life. According to the Bible, because Moses did something wrong while he was bringing Israel, uh, the Jews coming out from Egypt, he hit the stone. He was in anger. And because of that, God promised him that he will not step on the promised land. That was the biggest disappointment in his life, I'm sure. All right, but God has made that decision that he will end his life at the Mount of Nebel. So who is going to bring 400,000 Jews across the river to acquire the land that he promised? It was Joshua. And do you know that at that time, according to the Bible, Joshua is 80 years old. Okay? I mean, 80 years old, I should have retired for a long time. Why should 
God find a retiree to do such a big job? Well, the truth is, I'm not a theologist, so I just listen and I just uh, regurgitate to you. People told me that 80 years in the Jewish calendar equals to 50 years in our current calendar. So he was not a teenager, he was a middle-aged person in the middle of his career, 50 years, and he is given a huge task, and that is to bring 400,000 Jews to the land where there are big enemies, they are so tall and strong. And God promised that you will acquire the land that I promised to their ancestors. That was the year 2010, when I was 50 years old. And I was given the job to be the president of the Chinese University of Hong Kong. And that was the promised land. And I didn't know that there were so, so many enemies on the other side of the river. <laughs> if I did, I probably won't take up the job. But I got the opportunity to visit this holy place where Moses was buried. And in chapter 1, Joshua, the Bible said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Get going, cross the Jordan River, you and all the people. Cross to the country I'm giving to the people of Israel. I'm giving you every square inch of the land you set your foot on, just as I promised Moses. So go, I have a job for you. I have a mission for you, a big one. From the wilderness of this Lebanon east to the great river, that is the Jordan River, all the Hittites country, and then west to the great sea, that is the ocean, the Mediterranean Sea, it's all yours. So if you look at this map, if you look at this picture, which I took on the top of Nebel Mountain, the the arrow, come, uh, the lowest arrow points to Jordan. And then there is a valley between this piece of land and the other land. And in the valley is the Jordan River. Beyond that, it's where Israel is today. And that is the land God promised to his people. And beyond that, where the, the highest uh, arrow pointing to is the great ocean, that is the Mediterranean Sea. So, what he meant was that between the upper and the lower arrow, this is the whole piece of land that I have promised to give to you and your sons and your sons' sons. And God said, in the same way I was with Moses, I'll be with you. I won't give up on you. I won't leave you. However, however, you are not to acquire this gift from me just like that. You have to be strong, you have to be courageous. You are going to lead these people to inherit the land that I promised you um, give their ancestors. Give it everything you have. You have to really pay your efforts. Heart and soul. Make sure you carry out the revelation that Moses commanded you, every bit of it. So, yes, I have my promise and I have prepared a gift for you, a gift for your life, gift for your whole family, and even for your whole country. But this is not to be given to you just like that. You have to put your heart and your soul and everything you have into it. You have to be strong, you have to be courageous, 
most importantly, don't get off track, as he said here, either left or right, so as to make sure you got where you are going. So what does that mean? It means that don't for a minute let the book of the Revelation be out of mind. Ponder and meditate on it day and night. Make sure you practice everything within it. So the, the promise is there, but in order to get the gift of God, he told Joshua, and he's telling us today, that you have to follow my words very closely, every footsteps, not to deviate to the left, not to the right. And you have to think about it, ponder and meditate day and night so that you know how to get the gift that I promised to you. So that was, um, that was the promise. Then you will get where you are going, then you will succeed. Heaven I commanded you, strength, courage. Don't be timid. Don't get discouraged. God, your God, is with you every step you take. What a great promise. So at this point, I would like to tell you a little bit of my life story. I did not lead 400,000 Hong Kong people across the Victoria Harbour or anything like that. All right, I'm not such a great person. But my life has, always, has also been like passing through the desert and crossing many hurdles and to come to where I am standing. And I'm still facing lots of challenges and lots of uh, difficulties in my life. That's why today's message is for you as much as it is for me. In 1983, I graduated from the University of Hong Kong and get my medical degree to practice as a doctor. In six years' time, I have been able to acquire the specialist degree as a gastroenterologist. What is a gastroenterologist? It means uh, gastro means stomach. Entero means intestine. All those are Latin words. Okay, so I look after people's stomach, actually more than the stomach, from the mouth to the other end. That's my territory. All right, and also the liver and the gallbladder and so on. And I enjoy my work so much. I enjoy being a doctor. And I also enjoy to research on new drugs and new treatment for uh, digestive tract diseases. However, the first challenge that I face, not because of heavy work, but because of a very tough boss. My boss was notoriously a difficult person. So at that time, nobody else will take up a gastroenterology residence except a foolish me. And he was so tough that uh, he insulted and, and, and humiliated people left and right so that nobody dared to join the team. And I was the only person in the gastroenterology team. But six years later, I really find that it's very difficult. So I quit my job. In 1989, I went to Canada to study for my PhD. I make a big mistake because at that time, I got married. I got married on the 1st of January, just in case I forgot my anniversary. <laughs> so I choose the 1st of January to, for my wedding. And I took up a new job. 
and I uh, took up a new life in Canada. So new marriage, new job, new life in January going to Canada is a big, big mistake because the temperature was minus 37 degree, below zero on the first week we arrived. And we just had our honeymoon in Thailand. It was also 70, 37 degree, above zero, <laughs> and it drops to minus 37 degree. It was quite a shock for both of us. And I don't have a car. I don't have my house. I rented an apartment. I lost my job, which at that time was quite, was quite lucrative, quite well paid. But I then become a student. Um, it was snowing, it was dark, it was cold, and it was lonely. My wife was very unhappy because she was sitting at home with nothing to do, and she felt miserable. So it was a very big change for me. And I keep asking myself, I said, God, what have I done that you brought me here? And what am I supposed to do? Now, with no friends, no family, no money, no car, and I might actually thought about whether I would be frozen and dead on the street when I'm walking on. Minus 37, okay? I'm not kidding. If you walk in the street for 10 minutes, your lung will be frozen, and you, you probably will slip and fail anyway and drop dead on the street. So that was the kind of situation. But then passing through the three years, turns out my marriage was intact, and I experienced the closest encounter in my life with God. Every day, I have to rely on His blessing and His words to keep me going and to keep me alive. 1992, when I finished my PhD, I came back to Hong Kong and took up a job of a humble lecturer to lead the team of gastroenterology. By then, my boss has left, so I can now lead the team. And I didn't realize that in the six years' time, I can ascend so quickly to become the head of the Department of Medicine, quite, quite a big department with 400 doctors. And I thought it was, wow, a great opportunity, great blessing from God. Well, in 2003, we were hit by a mysterious disease called SARS. It is the first time that we encounter a coronavirus which is the brother of COVID-19, the bigger brother of COVID-19. And it was brought to us by a tourist who came from mainland China and visited Hong Kong. And he developed fever. And because this guy is young, he actually survived the disease. And, but he stayed in our hospital for about 35 days. During this time, while he was staying in this particular ward, in this ward called 8A, one person got 138 healthcare workers, patients, and visitors who got this mysterious disease. Every day we see more and more people developing fever, cough, and they become so breathless that they cannot talk, they cannot eat, they cannot even go to the toilet. And I'm talking about young people. I'm talking about my medical colleagues who was um, 25, 30, 35 years old and they become so critically ill that many of them has to go to the ICU. There were two, 20 doctors, 34 nurses, and 15 airline health workers 
including 16 medical students who actually entered into this ward, all got the disease transmitted from one person. There was only one doctor who was 4 feet 10. We were joking that he, she did not get the disease. We were joking that the virus must be at 5 feet and above. And <laughs> she just couldn't, she couldn't catch it. <clears throat> but jokes aside, we were very, very worried at that time about our colleagues because 25% of people who get infected were in fact working in the hospital. So on day one, I had to divide the department into two halves. I call them the dirty team and the clean team. I call, it, I call them dirty not because they didn't take a shower. It's because they are already exposed to the patient, yet not develop the fever. They might actually carry the virus, but we don't know what it is and how to protect them and how to treat them. So since they have already been exposed, they might as well just continue to look after those who are sick with fever. On the other hand, there were still hundreds of patients in my department who needs to be taken care of for diabetes, for cancer, and various other diseases. So I divide them into the clean team so that they would not cross-contaminate. And that was the kind of situation we were facing. At the end of the whole calamity, 299 people in Hong Kong died. Not all in my hospital, for, thanks God. But the, in the whole of Hong Kong, 299, including six doctors, and six um, healthcare workers uh, who gave their life uh, in their service. So it was quite a miserable time. Although the number is not as big as what we are seeing now in COVID, but we are talking about three months. In three months, the whole area of Hong Kong was covered with darkness, the darkness of death because of this unknown virus. So what have I learned from this? Well, I have learned that when our, when our knowledge and when our science have done everything and yet do not produce any uh, improvement, it is the time to turn to God. So it was the first time that as the head of department, I called upon all the Christians and Catholics to my office for a prayer meeting. And in our first prayer meeting, I said to God, I said, don't let us lose one life because of our ignorance. We are totally ignorant. We don't know what we are dealing with. We try every antibiotics and every antiviral agents. And we have even give them nebulizers, um, bronchodilators, and also machine to help them breathing. Nobody is improving. So God, don't let our ignorance will make anyone sacrifice during this time. And everybody cried in the room. Eventually, we got most of the people uh, recovered. 25% of patients entered the ICU, 10% overall mortality. But also, what we, what we have not been expecting is that there are hundreds of people, maybe even thousands, actually turned to God become Christians. There were patients telling me that I saw many angels in your medical ward. Those are not flying angels. Those are the ones who, according to him, are the doctors and the nurses and even the uh, janitor in the, in the room. 
they act like angels because they really serving people with their heart and their soul. And that's, that is the reason why so many people turn to God. My classmate, who was also a doctor, told me that his wife has been trying to bring him to church for 25 years, and he has not stepped into the church for once. And because of this crisis, he now become a very faithful uh, Christian. He talked to his patients, preaching them with Bible every day as a family doctor. So that was one big turn in my life. And then the next turn was because of SARS, I went into more into education. I find that I really love my students and train them to be good doctors, except that I don't know why they have to carry a balloon and a teddy bear in their, in their graduation ceremony. They should be more mature than that. <laughs> and in 2010, that is the time when I was standing at the uh, Mount Nebel. Actually, the reason why I was so um, fortunate to be able to get there is because a few months later, I took up the vice chancellor or the president's job of the university, not knowing that I have much bigger enemies in front of me much more difficult task to deal with than dealing with the virus, and that is our students. Okay, this is the picture taken on my first day in office as vice chancellor. The student union leader come to see me and he said, I want to present to you a gift. Now he is the person that I don't, I, I, I don't want to see at all because he is the one who usually give me trouble, the student union leader. Okay, but to, to my surprise, he brought me this calligraphy, which is uh, in Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient and kind. He brought me with the, the words of God from the Bible as uh, a, a gift for my first day. And then I gone through seven and a half years of social instability, students' uh, protest and uh, riots in Hong Kong. And that was a moment that I really feel I need to be strong and courageous because this is not what I'm trained for. I trained to look after people's stomach ulcer. I trained to look after people with colon cancer, but not to deal with a social and political turmoil. So looking back on these years, why can we be strong and be courageous? And how can we be taking up this responsibility? According to Joshua, it says, be strong and courageous because you will lead the people to inherit to the land. I swore to their ancestors to give them. So that means God has a promise. He has a plan. So stay strong and stay courageous because he never failed himself. He never failed us. He has a promise for us, and he will take us there. When I was in despair, when I was in huge difficulty, then God's words really come to my rescue and come to my help. These are two verses from uh, Sermon on the Mount given by Jesus. Actually, the picture was taken by me on the Sermon on the Mount, the Mount, the, the Mount of Beauties. And it says, you've been blessed when you are at the end of the rope with the loss of you 
there is more of God and His rules. So that is exactly the moment that I was facing as a vice chancellor, as a head of the university, when the society is in turmoil, when uh, there are protests inside and outside of the campus. I really don't know what to do. I really have no way to make the wrong right. I have no way to calm down the people except to pray for them because I was at the end of the rope. With less of me, there is more of God and his rules. There are so many occasions that I have to face um, politicians, I have to face media reporters, I have to face students. I really don't know what to say. I have not been well prepared for my words, but God just came with to me with what should be said and what is appropriate for that occasion. I have so much um, help from him that I could not believe. So much so that every morning before I go to work, I start to have this habit that I, I used to live on a house, in a house which is overlooking the whole campus. Okay? So every morning before I go to office, I'll pray for the campus. I'll pray for myself. God, please don't let me say something that I shouldn't. And please don't let them quote something that I don't mean to. <clears throat> and it's also said here, you are blessed when your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. When you are in certain difficulties, sometimes you really sometimes get mixed up of your own intention, of your own motivation. Sometimes it was your pride. Sometimes it was your selfishness. Sometimes you try, to, you try to help other people. Sometimes you try to serve God. So things can get so mixed up. All right? And the Bible said when you are blessed, when your inside world, your heart and mind is put in the right place. How to do that? Well, you read the God. You pray to Him so that He can give you the right heart and the right mind. Then you will start to see the, the work of God in the outside world. He's not lazy. He's not just sitting there and not do anything. We just don't see it. But when your heart and your mind is clear, then you start to see He is actually working and He's working according to His own plan. Why should we be strong and courageous? It is because you are not just fighting barehanded. You are given the full armor of God. What is that armor? Well, the Bible said, be careful to obey all the law and my servant Moses gave, gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. I have given all the necessary weapons and protective gears to my servant Moses. And I'm sure you have read this chapter, which uh, happens in, uh, which, which uh, is in uh, Ephesians chapter 7. It says, be prepared, you are up against far more than you can handle on your own, in your job, in your family, in your life. Take all the helps you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it is all over, but the shouting, you will still be on your feet. So what are those weapons? Truth righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation. All right, the Bible describes it as really a dress. Your belt, your, um, your, your, your gear, 
your helmet and your weapon. So these are the things that God gave you. And these are the things that I used to learn from my Sunday school, and they remained as Sunday school material until I faced all those difficulties, until I faced all my enemies. All those words become really, really planted deep in my heart and give me the strength to carry on and tell me what I should do. So, brothers and sisters, God's word is an indispensable weapon. And please, make good use of it. Don't, don't bend to the left, don't bend to the right, but follow straightly to every word that he said. Why should we be strong and be courageous? Because at the end of the day, listen, at the end of the day, this is not your war. This is not your battle. This is God's battle. And he has a plan and he knows how he wants to fight the battle. In Joshua chapter 5, before uh, Joshua actually led them to fight a great war, in that evening, suddenly he saw an angel. He saw a commander came from God. He quickly realized that this is not just an a, a ordinary soldier. In Joshua chapter 5, 13, he said he met a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. Joshua went to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? That person answered, Neither. He replied, But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. I have now come. Now, this is a very heavy word. Okay, very important message. He's telling us that when you are facing enemies, when you are facing difficult person, we often ask God, are you helping me or are you helping this guy? All right, please help me and get rid of this guy, okay? But in this passage, he said, we are not fighting for our own war. This is my battle. And he is sending angels to make things happen according to his plan. And you and I are only one soldier, one of the many soldiers in his battle. Therefore, it is not your victory or not your defeat at the end of the, of, the, of the battle, as the outcome. It is his glory and his plan that needs to be accomplished. I, I think a lot of time when we are facing difficulty, we always pray to God that, okay, let this end. Please take my pain away. Please remove this guy. Please uh, give me the money or the, the thing that I need. But the Bible said, when you are facing difficulty, consider it a sheer gift. When, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into open and show its true color. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Don't try to get out of trouble too fast because this is planned for you, for your spiritual maturity. And the Bible continues to say, let it, let it do its work so you become mature and well, developed not deficient in any way. If you, don't, if you don't know what you are doing, pray the Father. He loves to help. 
This is from James chapter 1. So when we are in trouble, when we are facing challenges, the prayer is not to get ourselves out of the trouble ASAP. The prayer should be, Father, lead me through this difficult time and give me the strength and the courage so that I can fight till the end and learn all the lessons that you want me to learn so that I become more mature. So I've learned all the patience, the kindness, the love that you taught us in the Bible. And now it is real and I have to exercise this in real life. And that is the attitude that we are asked to use. So at the end of the day, at the end of the book of Joshua, God actually has accomplished his plan. Joshua led the 400,000 Jews to settle in the land that he promised. And so I also finished my job as the vice chancellor of the university after seven years. And I come here to open my new chapter and my new life and thinking that I might be semi-retiring. Again, I was wrong because there are new challenges and new difficulties and new politics facing me. Um, you know, university is a wonderland for politics. Um, the famous uh, American president, Wilson, Mr. Wilson was once uh, the president of Princeton University of the United States. And then he quit his job and decided to run for the presidency. People ask him, why, Mr. Wilson, you want to be uh, in the White House instead of in Princeton University? His answer was, I just want, don't want to face the university politics. It's too much for me. All right, so the politics in the White House to him is less than the politics in Princeton University. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let me come back to the Queen's uh, funeral. The most touching moment, the most uh, important moment and symbolic moment for the whole ceremony, for the whole funeral to me is at this time. It was when <clears throat> her coffin was brought um, to St. George's Cathedral in Windsor. And before she was buried, there are three items on her coffin that needs to be removed and put on the altar. That includes the crown of the state, the sapphire, and also the orc, which is the, the ball-like structure. It symbolizes his, her status, her royalty, her power, and her influence of the whole world. So, the last thing that needs to be done before burying the royalty is to ask her to return the power, her inference, and her status back to God. And then she become an ordinary person, the servant of God, the queen, now returned to her king, our God. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope... By the time when we finish our journey here in this world, we will also be returning to God with our knowledge. I don't know how much power you have, but our power, our authority, and our status, our personality to God and tell Him 
that God, I have been your faithful servant. I have done everything in my life, following every footsteps, following the words in the Bible, the words that you gave to Moses and Joshua and to us, and now I am returning to you as your servant. I hope that will be <clears throat> the conclusion of our life. I hope that will be the conclusion that God will well received from us. And be strong and be courageous, and God bless you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>